Hello and welcome to the 2020 F1 Strategy Report, powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. My name's Michael Aminato, and this is Round 13, the Emilia-Romagna Grand Prix. Valtteri Bottas will have left the popular Imola track believing he should have taken home the winner's trophy. It was perhaps his best weekend of the year, but an errant piece of debris derailed his race and handed victory to Lewis Hamilton, while Mercedes won an unprecedented seventh straight constructors title. For an analysis of F1's first two-day Grand Prix and another midfielder on the podium, I'm joined by Sky Sports F1's Ted Kravitz. Ted, how are you doing? Laminato, I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing very well. Sun is out. We're approaching the end of the championship fights. I mean, we all know where they were going. We can see the results from quite some distance away, but still a, a moment of celebration, I suppose. The sun is out. Where? In, in, Melbourne. in Melbourne. Is it? Is it, what, the end The end of spring? Yes, lovely. Yes, it's going to be 30 degrees today, so straight after Ooh. this, I'm going outside. It's going to be lovely, Beautiful. now that I'm allowed out. It's freezing. It's freezing in here. Not quite Nürburgring, free, not quite <laughs> Nürburgring freezing, but uh, yeah, pretty cold in uh, in in uh, wintry London as we head towards um, the culmination of uh, the latest running F1 season ever. Yeah, well, we, I think we're definitely going to feel it as we uh, look at Christmas from Abu Dhabi. Yeah. The weather, as you mentioned there, actually, is this weird curveball. It wasn't so much the case at Imola that was cooler than it would have been, of course, had we gone, let's say, at a more traditional time somewhere in the middle of the year. But Turkey coming up as well. We're facing this unusual situation in F1, a summer series where you know struggling to get temperature into the tires, struggling to operate in the cooler climate is a bit of a bit of a twist for this series. Yeah, but I think the drivers haven't got a problem with that actually. I think they'd rather try to get temperature in their tires and certainly the engineers would rather than have this, you know, horrific tire mm. temperature overheating thing where they just have to drive slowly. At least you can drive aggressively and fast and that has really rewarded the, you know, the what I'm calling the greatest hits of 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 worldwide Formula 1 Grand Prix tracks that's made up F1 2020 you know, at least when we went to the Nürburgring, Portimao to a lesser d- degree, and I suppose Imola to a lesser degree because it's more an abrasive track on tyres. Anyway, the problem has been trying to get the heat into the tyres, not having to back off and drive to, you know, within a lap time just to keep the rear tyres uh, cool. So I think they'd rather it um, that way. Um, and it's meant that the drivers can push flat out. We're getting more radio messages, aren't we, saying, you know, it, it, can we have everything you've got now? And the drivers are like, I am everything I've got now. You know, and, and I'd rather that and rather, you know, just them pootling around trying to, to match a, a, a target lap time. Yeah, I suppose we saw that when Lewis got a cramp in Portugal to a lesser extent, really. It's not not so common that you hear that happening in a car. Yeah. Uh, like, the greatest hits, I think, is a really great way, actually, to describe a lot of the races we're having this season. A lot of tracks you don't ordinarily get in Formula 1, but proving extremely popular, certainly among the drivers. Imola's been one that I feel like every year someone is calling for it to come back on the calendar. Often the promoters at Imola themselves this year, they, they got their wish. Yeah. Everyone seemed to really enjoy being there. Obviously, a wonderful historic setting. I thought it was really interesting. I saw this graphic was doing the rounds on social media this week, uh, comparing the the current 2021 car in size to the car that last took to Imola in 2006. Much bigger, obviously, the cars yeah. these days. We talk about this, you know, fairly often, I suppose. But this was a really kind of great like for like example on this track. We talk a lot about tracks where overtaking is difficult, but how much of this should this thinking be reversed a bit in terms of trying to re-engineer the cars to be 
uh, as small as possible, let's say, to improve that side of the sport. Yeah, they're four and a half meters long, aren't they? Um, I think mm. uh, from memory, and um, a couple of meters wide. So, you know, they are um, by design. I think it all comes back to the engine, really. When you've got the engine and the power unit that we've got now, and when you've got you know an MG UK which weighs thirty five kilos, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, uh, the, the, and 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 a, and a battery that weighs probably a little bit more than that, then you're starting to have a really big, heavy car. And to put that through the air and onto a track, you need lots of downforce if it's not just going to go spinning off the track. And an easy way to make more downforce is just by to make more surface area of the car and more surfaces to generate downforce. And so the cars get longer and longer. Um, the wheelbase is, is a little bit different from cars to cars. Um, you get a lot of engineers. James Allison from Mercedes keeps telling me, don't believe the myth of the short wheelbase and the long wheelbase. There's only ever about, uh, uh, you know, three centimeters in it and it doesn't make any difference um but uh yeah i i don't think we are going to get uh, uh any change in the in the size of the cars until 2022 at the earliest and even then i don't know hopefully they'll be a little bit more nimble but i don't know i mean i don't know whether imola was a hard circuit to overtake um always um because i i, I can't remember uh much before the sort of early 80s certainly there was a bit more overtaking then but if we remember to sort of my era when i was going there between 97 uh, and 2006 it was pretty hard to overtake even then so i don't think we should be surprised who can you know forget michael schumacher chasing down fernando alonso in 2005 and not being able to overtake a clearly faster um ferrari than alonso's uh renault at the time uh, due to whatever pit stops they were running. Uh, but uh, Schumacher couldn't get past, and it was the most nail-biting finish to a Grand Prix. So, yeah, not a great track for overtaking, but hey, I'll take that <laughs> because it is a challenge to the drivers. It's got character, and it's got soul and spirit. And, you know, I think um, it's a nice balance to have, isn't it? You know, people were complaining on the weekend. Um, some people were talking about their more, you know, antiseptic, Tilka tracks, um, and yeah, you know that. But that's a fact of life. You design a, a circuit from scratch. You put it around. I don't know the the, the Olympic Park in in Sochi. You know there, there are some buildings that are going to de- define the track. All right, you've got a you've got a marina in, in Abu Dhabi. You're basing it around, and sure, Bahrain was a clean sheet. But then you do have to put you know some serious kind of runoff areas to to make sure it's super safe. Um, and you probably wouldn't get away with designing an Imola the way the way it is now, but um, it's acceptable because it's there and it does meet just about um, the regulations. A bit like uh, a bit like Japan, mm-hmm. um, but um, yeah, it's a balance, isn't it? I'm happy with I'm happy to have both on the calendar. Yeah, I think that's fair. The challenge aspect certainly needs to be in there, and I think it does make a big difference when the drivers clearly enjoy themselves i think that does make a a massive difference to the spectacle just on its own uh, quite aside from the racing uh and we can talk a little bit about that challenge a little bit later on with valtteri bottas but just before that i want to just touch on the fact that this was the first well let's say the first intentional two-day weekend i feel like we've actually accidentally had a couple in the last month of no practice on friday effectively uh this is a bit of a I suppose, a, a test model, if you like, for Formula One, isn't it? Because we're looking at calendars with more races on it. This is a way to reduce that workload. But I think more to the point, and perhaps a little bit more relevant in this context, is that 
Formula One seems like it already has so much practice. And surely this was evidence that we just don't need four hours on a weekend for teams to really perfect their cars before starting qualifying. No, we don't. But, you know, we're there anyway. And <laughs> everybody was there from from Wednesday. And we all flew out. I mean, I flew out Wednesday night because I had some filming to do on Thursday. All the drivers were there Wednesday because they wanted to get there nice and early and all the cars were were ready to go sure there were some elements of the paddock that were still being built up having driven the you know 48 hours from uh, uh, the very southern tip of uh, of portugal um across portugal across spain across france you know across a bit of italy and then down to imola but you know, it was only the last things to um to be built were the paddock buildings all the garages were sorted out um there was a story about um the crane needed to build the racing point uh, motorhome um rang up the crane operator rang up the uh the the uh the racing point coordinator and said uh, ciao i'm here at the gate and he said oh okay i'll come to i'll come to uh, to see you this was relayed to me by another team and so the uh, racing point guy goes to the imola gate says right uh where are you then he says well i'm here just by this big red helmet and it says <laughs> circuito de magello on it says, oh you've gone to Magello, <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Why is there nobody here? Um, so, so they uh, luckily it was only about a hundred miles. It's only about a hundred miles from uh, mm. from Magello. It's actually less. I think it's less from Magello to uh, to Imola. So the crane did arrive, and the um, and the Racing Point motorhome could go up. I don't know. I'm listen. I'm not. I'm not. You know, paid to give an opinion. But if you want one, I don't like it. I think it's. I think oh, there's okay. no point. Um, I think anyone, you know, I think the people who said, oh, marvellous, you know, two-day weekend, I just think their hearts aren't in it. You know, if you're not prepared to do the work and be there for three days, <laughs> then go and find another job. You know, you know, it's not about being easy for you. Just come in on a, you know, very convenient for your work-life balance. Thank you very much. <laughs> come on. Grand Prix are events, right? They are events. It's a World Cup final. Well, it's not a World Cup final. It's a, it's a, it's a football final. It's a minor football final <laughs> every weekend, okay? It's not an AFL grand final weekend. I understand that, mm-hmm. you know, but it's a major world sporting event every weekend. And if you're not prepared to make an event of it, then you're in the wrong job, you know? So so it's showbiz. It's entertainment. And part of that, for me, is the anticipation. Mm-hmm. You go for a week, and I say this on TV uh, on the weekend, you go for a week thinking, oh, you know, where are we next? Oh, Imola, great. Um, and the anticipation and Friday is building anticipation. It's raising questions about, oh, did you see that lap? That was good. Oh, you know, um, Norris was P3. Wow. Okay. You know, do you think he can make that? Oh, what was, uh, what was, you know, Vettel doing down there? Or, oh, did you see the crash for him? Or, you know, what's going on? And it's, it, it, it transfers through and everyone's, you know, could, can do some testing as well. And we couldn't do any testing in Imola. Saturday morning was flat out, well, we've got to do this on the soft tyre, got to do this on the medium tyre, we've got to do this on the hard tyre. Then we've got to do some heavy fuel. Then we've got to do some light fuel. Oh, we've got a problem. You know, that's that's lost us 20 minutes. Oh, you want, oh, setup changes, did you? No, did you want a setup change? Sorry, mate, can't do a setup change. We haven't got the time. So I'm not, I'm not on for it. I'm really not up for it. I think it's, I think it's ill-conceived. I don't think it saves anybody any time. And I think it makes things harder. And I think we have 
more people dropping out. And all right, you could discuss whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. In Nurburgring, we had a lot of retirements. And I think in Imola, we had a f- quite a few retirements as well. You know, would Renault have spotted that there was a drive shaft, pr- you know, problem on Ocon's car on a Friday, having done an hour and a half round a, a, a sort of super aggressive, you know, and punishing circuit like Imola? Would they have spotted that? Maybe. And then he wouldn't have, you know, retired with a, with a, with, with that problem. And, yeah, so for 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 so many of those reasons, um, I I think a two day weekend is the wrong way to go for F one. Ah, there you go, got it off my chest. Well, yeah, look, it's important to you got to get that stuff off your chest. Don't let it build up. But uh, it's look, some good points made there. I think in particular, there's the time saving aspect. I can't see that actually being that much of a time saver. But uh, we'll wait and see how Formula One moves in this direction. One thing I thought that it did do though, and you sort of touched on it there, uh, I suppose in a sense in the inverse way, but it meant that risk was greater because you couldn't take so much risk in practice, could you? It's easier to take risk on yeah. Friday practice knowing if you, you've been in the car, you've yeah. got a whole day pretty much to fix it before qualifying. Couldn't happen in practice. And I feel like as a result in qualifying, this really rewarded drivers willing to risk it. And I suppose we can start talking about Valtteri Bottas here. He said he was left shaking by his lap. One of the rare times he does manage to beat Lewis Hamilton in qualifying, though he has been close for most of the year. And I feel like that willingness sort of put him one step ahead for pretty much the entire weekend notwithstanding that he picked up damage on Sunday but the willingness to risk I think was really rewarded this weekend yes but I think that would have been the same whether it was a two-day weekend or a three-day weekend because it was just the it was just the nature of the Imola track um you know they were all buzzing Mm -hmm. after qualifying because you have to take those risks on a big qualifying lap it is a big daddy big challenge track and you know it's 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 not like, you know, strangely, compared to Monza, the speeds are much higher at Monza, but because there's not actually that much, you know, that they do in Monza, they effectively just, you know, go through chicanes and then there's just one couple of fast corners. They, they sort of get out of the car and say, well, that was all the car that, you know, that was all that the car can did, could, could have done. That's it. But you get out of Imola, you've wrestled the car around, you've taken risks, You've you know danced the car on the edge of adhesion. You've 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 gone over the curbs, not knowing whether it's all going to stick, and you've pushed it over the line, and it's given you that reward. And they were all buzzing. Daniel Ricciardo, you know, it doesn't you don't even have to be on pole. Daniel Ricciardo was fifth on the grid, and he said it was one of the best qualifying experiences he'd ever had. You know, he was absolutely just fizzing when he came in for an interview afterwards. Valtteri Bottas had a kind of adrenaline high that he was riding straight after the shivering, you know, included was sort of, and then came down in the interview pen afterwards. And you could see he was getting cold. Um, One of his team members had to bring him a big jacket because he was starting to sort of get a bit chilled and, and, and he was on a big adrenaline down. And then he came to the, um, the touchscreen that we have and did a bit with, uh, Karun Chandok and 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 he was pretty much monosyllabic. He had bit, he had you know he was cold. He was on adrenaline down, and he was sort of drained and wanted to go and lie down in his room <laughs> because that was the adverse of 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 that. And and yes, you know they were they were taking risks. I think Hamilton made a couple of mistakes. I think had he actually executed as fantastic a lap as Valtteri Bottas, then I think he would have been you know buzzing as well. But. Um, he was a little bit disappointed. Sure, full of the adrenaline that you get doing after qualifying around Imola, but he was disappointed that he was not on pole position. But that was a change later. But yeah, I think that's more of a you know thing about the. Um, I think that would have happened anyway, rather than the, the having the risk of uh, uh, just being having to throw everything at it. 
because you haven't had that much practice and don't know where where the sort of limit is. Absolutely part of this circuit. I think that's fair to say. A Mercedes on pole, a good getaway for Valtteri Bottas as well. I feel like this was one of his better weekends of the season. Maybe his best since Austria, uh, just off the top of my head, that first round of the season where he seemed like he had everything in hand. Uh, Everything seemed like going well. He should have been able to win from that position, having led away on that first lap. We know that that wasn't the case, though. Uh, I was shocked at how big a piece of debris he picked up on lap two because this was really the defining moment of the race. This this is the thing that the whole race pivoted on was, ironically, a piece of Ferrari. Probably the fastest piece of Ferrari all season was the piece (laughs) lodged in Valtteri Bottas's barge boards. Uh, Nearly eight-tenths of a second a lap he was losing, but you wouldn't have guessed in that first stint other than perhaps the fact that Max Verstappen seemed unusually fast relative to a Mercedes car. Yes, it was when Verstappen was closing on him quite considerably and the the W11, which was clearly the class of the field in Imola. Imola seemed made for the W11, the Mercedes W11. It seemed, you know, able to to stretch its legs. And and, and that, what was that? It was was half a second, it was four-tenths of a second, I think, that um, the Mercedes had on the Red Bull in qualifying. And uh, and in the race, it looked much closer. And we thought, you know, before we knew about this bit of Ferrari front wing end plate, oh, well, that's just, you know, the in race pace, you know, the Red Bull is better. But actually, the Red Bull was kind of miles off um, in in the race uh, as well. It was only sort of Max Verstappen managing, you know, his brilliance managing to get up close. And, and they said it was 50 points of downforce, 5-0. And, and on a, you know, on a package that takes them, you know, months to think up and then build... You know, you're happy if you get three or four or five points of downforce mm. on there. It's fantastic. You know, that's that's a great that's a great upgrade. Um, and to have that bit lodged in the crucial part of the front part of the floor around the bib um, is very bad. They could see it from lap from lap two, but and this is the interesting thing: when Bottas came in for his first pit stop, chasing. Verstappen, they felt that it would have lost them more time and track position at a track where track where track position is king to actually pull out the bit of Ferrari front wing end plate. So they left it in there. They knew it was there. They saw it in the pit stop, and they left it in there because they thought that was the lesser of of two evils. Had Verstappen got in front, you know, through a four second pit stop, five second to try and wrench this bit bit out, you know, they thought that would probably be it because he had track position, even if Bottas was suddenly much quicker because he was debris-free, um, that would be it. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it, it was a mighty drive by, uh, by, 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 by Bottas. And, and who knows what would have happened. They did eventually get it out in the second pit stop, didn't they, under the, um, under the safety car? It was That first pit stop was really interesting because there were two obviously distinct minds here. Mercedes had an idea of what was going on, obviously knowing that the, the Bottas car was affected by this. And Red Bull Racing, for a brief period of time, thought that this race was really on. Couldn't get passed on track. That was a sort of defining part in terms of strategy in this uh, Grand Prix, of course. The passing was quite difficult. So decided to stop really quite early yeah. for a, a team, for a, or the top three to start on the medium tyre, but to stop so early on lap 18 just to try something. In ordinary circumstances, that would have been their race over, really, because Bottas would have had no trouble overcutting Verstappen at this point in the same way that Hamilton did later, but really had no choice, did they, but to cover that one and then lock themselves into this, what should have been really a really long duel towards the end, trying to defend 
aggressively against Verstappen. What wasn't going to happen in the end, I suppose, because Verstappen did get past him. But really accidental work there for Red Bull Racing, I suppose. Yeah, and it was worth, I guess it was worth a go um, for Red Bull. Let's not forget that they don't have the second car in play mm-hmm. to try and, you know, trick uh, Hamilton or Bottas into, into, into a stop. Um, you know, it was okay qualifying for Alex Albon, but, but not great. And then Albon uh, had to stop early um, on lap 14 anyway. Um, I think he was reacting around to Lando Norris, but uh, uh, yeah, Albon had his, own, had his own issues. But it was, it was worth a go because, you know, Verstappen's only in it to, to try and win races. They, they went onto the hard tyre. They knew that it was going to be hard to get to the end on that hard tyre uh, and be fresh. And that's how Mercedes knew that they had it covered with either car. And that was the point, wasn't it? If they let, if they let, not only did, did Bottas manage to cover uh, Verstappen and get out still in front of him because he'd done enough in that first stint uh, to build uh, a little bit of a gap, despite uh, body, you know, front wing end plate debris and all. But that's the advantage that will it, that, uh, that Mercedes have when they've got, you know, Bottas and Hamilton in there, both at the front, that they can cover it with Bottas and then try something different from Hamilton. And they don't care who wins. Obviously, if Bottas, you know, is on the is on pole, they kind of think, well, you know, he's done half the job. We should give him the best chance to win that we can. But uh, it looked like Hamilton was going to win anyway. Yeah, and I mean, especially knowing that that first stop aside, the Verstappen aspect aside, that that car was damaged, Pretty logical for Mercedes thereby to focus on making sure that Lewis Hamilton at least was in the best position to win here. Ran long, ran to lap 30. Had a bit of luck here though, didn't he? He was bringing out that gap, depending on which numbers you wanted to look at, and we can sort of analyse the pit stop numbers at the end of the race. There was a, He needed somewhere between 26 and 30 seconds to be a pit stop ahead of Bottas. Just about got it, but then Esteban Ocon, I suppose, helped him out. The virtual safety car helped him out. And it does feel like Bottas can't get any luck here. I mean, notwithstanding how damage, and maybe he wouldn't have been able to win anyway because of that. But, you know, he was doing just enough to keep in that window of Lewis Hamilton. And then, of course, a virtual safety car undoes all that work anyway. Story of Bottas's season. You know, mm. he didn't have the luck. Did not have the luck. He's had it uh, in so in so many ways. But, you know, if you believe in luck, then uh, uh, maybe luck will come his way uh, next season. We will see. And, and Hamilton has had the luck. You know, it summed up his season. Um, just when he needs to, he gets something that really, really helps him out. But as he was, you know, keen to remind uh, everybody uh, afterwards, you know, he had done enough. He, mm. th- he saw Bottas and, and Verstappen, pit what 18 and lap 18 and 19 thought they were crazy but well, hang on we didn't do all the all the hard work in q2 to qualify on this medium tire only for you to now go and pit when when a soft tire would have pitted you know it would have been easy i should if we were going to pit on 18 19 i wouldn't have bothered trying to get the heat into the medium tires in q2 would have just gone onto the easy route onto the soft so he in, in initially you know knew that he was going to go wanted to go longer 26 lap 26 was kind of the bare minimum that he thought he was going to pit by and actually he went to 30 i think he could have gone even longer just uh he still felt there was good life uh, in the tires but then there was that virtual safety car and it i think it was within about five or six seconds virtual safety car was called three two one and i saw lewis round the second ravazza and then head into the pits and it was just perfect it was just perfect everyone else was slowing down um i saw it from the from the the pit building roof 
everyone was like, oh, and they all started slowing down. I thought, oh, that's odd. And I looked at the boards and it said, it said VSC. I thought, okay, right, right, right. And then about five seconds later, Hamilton comes in. And then about five seconds after that, it said virtual VSC ending. And, uh, and everyone got up uh, to speed again. So, so what would have cost him, as you said, uh, well, about 27 seconds. Let's, let, let's call it, it's about an average of the, uh, of the estimates between sort of 26 and 28 seconds. Um, only cost him 17. So he had a very, very healthy lead when he, when he came back out. Um, and that was the luck of the draw and, uh, the, the unlucky Bottas who, um, who later on, of course, got passed by Verstappen on track, didn't he? Mm-hmm. When, uh, when, what was it? Was it a was it a lockup or something? It was, wasn't it? Yeah, and went a bit wide at the last two corners, went right? Was it Ravazza? I think it was. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and then Verstappen got past him before, before, uh, before Verstappen's problem. Yeah, and of course that was the second defining moment of this race was Verstappen's tire failure. In the end, I mean, everyone's quite worked up about this kind of tire failure. It seemed like it was debris. That's Pirelli's initial analysis, isn't it? But since Silverstone. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, concern whenever this sort of thing happens. Teams and drivers were reporting vibrations on these tyres. And the safety car, not for Verstappen, obviously, he caused it, his uh, tyre failed, but allowed the two leading Mercedes drivers to make that safety stop onto the softs, get comfortably to the end of the race, then Hamilton leading Bottas in that order. But the the difference of starting on the soft or medium tyre was really defining in that final podium position with Verstappen out of the, out of the picture, Alex Albon still mired in the midfield as you touched on and in fact fell well out of the points after the safety car restart this should have been Sergio Perez's first podium in two years really first podium of the season he'd done such good work up until this point he'd started 11th the first to have free tire choice started on the medium and then did really what Perez does so well what we know he does so well which is just perfectly manage pace over a long stint all the way to lap 27 which is probably about where the medium tire should have got anyway but this was really it should have been a Perez race, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean on the on the Verstappen tire failure, I'm willing to give uh, Pirelli the the benefit of the doubt because Leclerc and Ricardo um, got to the end from from a, an earlier stop than Verstappen on that hard tire. So Ricardo and Leclerc pitted Leclerc lap thirteen, Ricardo lap fourteen, and they ran all the way to lap sixty three on that hard tire with no kind of looking like a structural failure or anything like that. Giovinazzi stopped on lap ten and went to the end sixty three on a set of mediums. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't think the tires had a sort of innate structural problem. It did look like I don't know what bit of debris it was that caused the puncture or a stone or whatever you know but little bits of carbon fiber fly off these cars all the time mm. so um it is possible that the verstappen probable i think we should also say that uh, his tire failure was caused by some sort of debris rather than some sort of structural uh, failure of the tire but to go back to your point about checo perez yeah and i don't know it's a weird one because should we, shouldn't we pit under the safety car? Seems to be a slightly recurring theme on the Racing Point mm-hmm. pit wall. This is the third time this year that there's been a critical should we, shouldn't we call. And I think they're starting to sort of lose a little bit of confidence up there because the first one, um, oh, maybe you can remind me where this was. The first one was wrong and they should have pitted. The second one, they were right to keep him out. <laughs> 
and now they pitted. Um, where were the two? Where were the two earlier on in the season? Anyway, um, there'll be uh, there'll be listeners who know exactly <laughs> what we're talking about, screaming into their uh, into their <laughs> whatever they're listening to uh, us on. But you know, it, it, it has been um, a little bit of a should we, shouldn't we? Um, two reasons why they didn't, why they did pit him, and why they didn't do you know, the the obvious thing which would have been to leave him out. You know, ha- having having pitted on lap 27, mm-hmm. Checo was saying, well, come on, hang on. You know, we've got this, uh, we've got this uh, quite young tyre here and, and, and we can, I'm sure we can go to the end. But two reasons. First of all, they had set up the car to be uh, slow to heat up its tyres to manage to get this long stint length out of the medium tyre early on to lap 27, which they did very successfully. And they thought, well, hang on. You know, we've got this car that's really, you know, the old slow heater uh, today. And um, if we leave Checo out there on the cars, on on, on the white tyres, on the white hard tyres, the car is going to be very slow to heat them up. So we don't really want to do that. Um, And they also thought that uh, on the soft tyre, you get good heat and the cars in front would suffer more than they did and they'd be able to pick them off. Uh, he didn't manage to get past Leclerc and it was sixth in the end when it should have been third. Um, but, you know, these things happen. It was a mistake. I just think they needed to get, you know, track position is king. Yeah. I think on the, on the, if we ever go back to Imola on, uh, on, the, 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 on the pit wall or on the file saying... <laughs> You know what to do in the race in Imola and Racing Point. They'll put a posty. They'll put a post-it note saying track position is king. Um, so, so just bear that in mind. It is. I mean, you you feel like, and I thought sort of thought it at the time as well that really track was having earned that track position with passing so difficult. That really should have been the. I don't necessarily want to say obvious because, as you said, there were reasons in their mind. They didn't do it for no yeah. reason. They had their motivations to stop him. But should have been clear that with a racing point car that is usually, in most circumstances, fast enough to run a defence, hold that track position, unfortunately gave it up there. Uh, in fact, I think he was quite upset on the radio afterwards, wasn't he? From what I've heard is that you know he's, he's immediately saw that that was a call that shouldn't have been yeah. made, and I think Charles Leclerc was asked by his pit wall as well, and his response was, "I don't want to pass. I don't think I can pass any cars if we stop." And probably worked out for him as well. But I suppose if you wanted to be kinder to the Racing Point pit wall, you'd point to Daniel Kvyat, wouldn't you? Because he did also stop behind the safety car, had less to lose, I suppose. So it was not such a gamble, but. He pretty much did what Perez was expected to do or what the team had hoped he would do, passed three or four cars at the restart and spent the last five laps of this essential five-lap sprint race. <laughs> going crazy. Challenging Ricardo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, going absolutely crazy. Not enough to save his drive, no. to help it market, yeah. but a very very much exactly what you'd expect for someone on new soft tyres, I suppose. Well, uh, according to Pirelli, it was actually Fiat's tyre was a used soft yeah, had yes. done three laps from qualifying, whereas actually Perez's tire was new. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, you know that that just underlines Fiat's achievement to get back up to fourth um, with that pit stop, uh, and whether Checo wasn't able to do it. I mean, listen, you know, maybe you could come up come up with some sort of, some sort of cod driver psychology, psychology you know, uh, idea that Fiat just got went completely, you know. <laughs> 
crazy and uh, let's go for it you know let's overtake people whereas Checo isn't really that kind of driver you know he's he's sort of king tire preservation and um and that's and that's what was his strength and what was leading him to the podium and to to drop him in and ask him to go to risk everything uh, and to go for some crazy overtakes wasn't really playing to his sort of you know personal strengths as a driver. Um, you know I don't like to categorise drivers like that, but you know Fiat clearly didn't have anything to lose. Said that it was willing to he was willing to make the risks. Did it particularly on Leclerc. Um, I think Leclerc was surprised to see him maybe, um, but uh, I think Leclerc you know was sort of just outperforming that Ferrari all weekend long, all season long, you could yeah. say, and probably would have said, okay, well, the AlphaTauri is clearly quicker than us. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to have to give up the place here. But, Rick, as as Danny Rick said, you know, the racing point was actually the quickest, the third quickest car. Uh, well, all right, the fourth quickest car. No, the third quickest car, that's right, uh, Mercedes, Red Bull, and then racing point, mm-hmm. and deserved to be on the podium. Um, the Renault wasn't the third quickest car. Uh, but Ricardo managed to make it work with some smart driving and good uh, good strategy. The fact that we got into this situation to begin with, with Perez leapfrogging most of the midfield having started 11th, was because a lot of those drivers who had to start on softs, having qualified in Q2 with them, got caught in this undercut train we sometimes see happen in races where passing is a bit difficult, no one wants to take too much risk. They all stopped between lap 13 and 14. This is Ricardo, Kvyat, Leclerc, Albon... Yep. Uh, pretty much both McLaren yeah. science went a little bit longer. We'll the, talk about him in the, a second. The midfield pitters, yes. Yeah, all got stuck behind Kevin Magnussen, who was running long on the medium tyre, having dropped to the back, uh, getting tangled up with Sebastian Vettel early on in the race. That led to Bottas uh, picking up that debris, coincidentally enough. is I mean, I, I understand the, the rationale, the psychology behind that, because no one wants to take a risk when recovering positions by passing is difficult and there's only one stop in this race. But... That was still quite early for these soft tyres, for everyone to stop on these tyres to risk. And and being able to see that Magnussen was there as well, you could see it in the times they merged pretty much directly behind him and were stuck behind him for 13 or 14 laps. Are you surprised so few drivers and teams take the risk of staying out in that situation? Don't, uh, are you surprised that they all take that bait? I think they're so terrified of being undercut. None of them, or very few of them, have the confidence to overcut other people. Mm. Um because they're sort of hardwired into thinking, oh, I don't want to be undercut here. Um, case in point, uh, Kimi Raikkonen and Sebastian Vettel. So this was quite a nice fight, uh, sort of lower down in the midfield. Neither of them were tempted into into the midfield, uh, let's go for it, which, by the way, was started by Roman Grosjean. Mm-hmm. So blame him. <laughs> um, who, you know, the moment you know, Grosjean had stopped at lap nine, then, you know, ahead of the people ahead of him, Russell thought, you know, like Russell and, and Giovinazzi thought, oh, I better not be undercut here. So then stopped 10, lap 10, 11, Ocon 13, uh, Norris 13, Leclerc 13, Kvyat 14, you know, and, uh, and it moved like a well, one might like say say like a virus uh, up through from the lower part of the midfield into the top part of the midfield, and 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 so you know like like so many people uh, who've come across the Frenchman, you can blame Grosjean for that one. But um, as I say, yeah, Kimi and and Seb weren't tempted into that. Kimi went long to forty eight. Seb was the first. And this was an interesting fight because mm-hmm. Seb pitted lap thirty nine. Kimi. Were, and um, and was just about to undercut Kimi Raikkonen, but on the Alfa Romeo Sauber pit wall, they could see that the Ferrari was coming back, 
and a decent chance as Kimmy's tyres were starting to fade uh, of being undercut by Sebastian Vettel. So just before Vettel was about to undercut Raikkonen, they decided to pit him. That was lap 48, and they remained ahead of him. So it was the right decision. There they are thinking they've done a great, you know, great job there. Thank heaven for that. We've stayed ahead of the Ferrari. We're going to be, we're going to be racing him to the finish here. Two laps later, what happens? <laughs> Safety car. And, and you know, they, they had to do what they were going to do. But if they had have waited, not that they were ever going to, but if they'd have waited to lap 51 in the safety car, then Kimi would have been something like seventh, you know, and having to defend um, at uh, his, his position towards the end. But you would have had to be completely bonkers to do that <laughs> because you would have given up an undercut to Sebastian Vettel. Based on nothing. Based on what? Based on, oh, I don't know, you know, Ocon might have a drive shaft. Fa- uh, no, who was it? Um, Verstappen, sorry. Verstappen might have a tyre failure here. And, uh, and we, can, uh, we can take advantage of the safety car. So, you know, they did the right thing at the right time, did uh, Alfa Romeo Sauber. They weren't to know there was going to be a safety car. But they did indeed end up still ahead of Sebastian Vettel uh, and a few cars in between. And both... Alpha Sauber scored points, which doesn't happen every race. So that was that was a decent return for them. First time this year, I think, that both have scored points. And you, you're absolutely right. They had no choice but to, to stop at that point. No one can forecast that safety car. But I think he was as high as fourth just before his tyres started to fade a little bit and then he ultimately pitted. So it shows that he, you know, he would have been much higher up in the order had you know, fortune been that the safety yeah. car had come out a little bit earlier. And then who knows how high he could have been able to finish there, probably mid-points. But... This is something that's quite typical of Alfa Romeo, isn't it? Or Sauber, as it used to be, that they oh, would run is, these sort of left-of-field strategies. Still is Sauber. Yeah, well, technically, Sorry. I mean, I should get their business number as well <laughs> so that we can... Uh reference that just to be absolutely yeah, certain sorry but, go, yeah sorry go uh, on mate. look you're right we should be technically correct on this program that's <laughs> sort of the point but Giovinazzi also ran pretty much the same but opposite the inverse version yes. of Raikkonen strategy only 10 laps on the soft and then all the way to the end on a single set of tires on the medium crucially not being tempted to stop behind the safety car as well which earned him a couple of places towards the end but you know comparing that as we sort of did with with a lot of the midfield teams, I guess where it's much tighter there, where everyone is already de facto competing for points, it's easy to get caught up in a trend. But for Alpha, where they're always trying to break into the points, I guess it's a little bit easier to be ambitious. But this is normally a strength of theirs, and it was good to see them rewarded for just a completely different strategy, really. Yes, it was. And I think that's slightly encouraged by what happened in the opening lap of Portimao, yeah. where um, Kimi went, you know, f- absolutely you know mr overtaking trousers and 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 entertained everybody by um by getting up to uh fourth i think wasn't it from no or maybe sixth yeah. from um from more or less uh a sort of mid teens grid position but uh, it was all very entertaining you know got everybody excited on social media have a look at kimmy's amazing first mm-hmm. lap it was Portugal, wasn't yeah, it? it wasn't no, it was very green. good as well. It yeah. was Portugal. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, as the rain started to go and everybody was on uh, the medium tyres and Kimi was on the soft tyres and, uh, uh, you know, Carlos Sainz took the lead and, and Raikkonen was right up there. I kind of think Sauber thought, or Alfa Romeo th- thought, you know, Ruth Buscom thought, oh, let's have a bit of that again. You know, let's <laughs> see if Giovinazzi can do that this time. Whereas um, they were pretty much the only ones out of the people who had free tire choice to start on the soft um but you're right it did work out quite well for them i think he was 
where was he? 20th? He started was he last? last. He Gained was, wasn't he? six places on the first lap, I think, as he well. He started last because he made a mistake. That's right. That's right. And got up to, got up to mm. P14, didn't he, on the first lap. So it worked well for them. On a track you can't overtake, it was a nice idea, and it worked. So well done. Well done, Ruth Buscom. There are just two more points I want to touch on before we wrap this one up. One directly related to where Giovinazzi was able to finish and perhaps even where Raikkonen was able to finish in those lower, those last two points paying places. Partly fortune uh, or misfortune, depending on whose aspect you're taking here, whose angle, uh, on Vettel's part. Because Vettel, as you said, had been in that race. He'd been fighting for a point. It was one of his painful to say for a four-time world champion, but better races to be fighting yeah. for a couple of points, at least of recent times. But a, a Ferrari error here, a pit stop error, quite a, a poor pit stop uh, late in the race uh, on two corners of the car. I think it cost him 10 or 11 seconds stationary time yeah. uh, that dropped him out of the competition for points. Nothing much he could do from there. But, you know, it, it's rare that it feels like it's rare that you can draw a thread through one team making several strategy and pit stop mistakes, and it's inevitably Ferrari. In a year where their car is obviously not that great, improving a little bit admittedly, at least in Leclerc's hands, but generally not very good, uh, struggling at a, an awful lot of tracks, surely the one thing that shouldn't have... Cha- or surely one thing that should remain polished, let's say, for a team so well-resourced, is the pit stop side of things, is the is the pit wall side of things, I suppose, where it's all just... Practice makes perfect, really. Well, you would have thought, wouldn't you? But I wonder whether the kind of, you know, um, drudgery of, of, of trying to get through a season that they know is is is, is below par and, and whether there's a lack of sharpness through through the, the white-hot uh, element, you know, heat of, of competition and of championship challenging. I think when you get that sort of energy within a team, you know you're challenging for wins – and you know you're challenging for a championship, everything tightens up, everybody tightens up, and you make sure in that pit stop practice that you get everything done, and there are no mistakes. And surely, you know, sure, Ferrari have had mistakes even when they've been challenging for wins and challenging for the championships, but I think I think mentally, if not operationally, there is a little bit of a, oh, well, it's not really going to matter, is it? You know, we're not going to be able to, you know, fourth is probably the best we can get, a podium may be, you know, we're not exactly, we don't really have to push ourselves here because, you know, the car's not good enough to, to challenge for the win. Um, I don't think, you know, clearly they don't want to mess up. And I think the Ferrari pit crew would have been as gutted as, mm-hmm. you know, as, as as Seb was, that they had that problem on the uh, on the left rear and the right front. Um, but I wonder whether there's a little bit of uh, ambition, you know, the, the ambition goes with the... the the reality of where they're racing at the moment and the sharpness goes. But, you know, they're getting it fine on Leclerc's car, but they're still not delivering the sort of sub-two-second pit stops that Red Bull are and that Williams can on their day um, and that Mercedes can on their day. So maybe they need to invest a bit of time and money into getting them sharp to um, be there when the car eventually improves, as inevitably it will. It's just going to take a bit of time. Look, as a final point, uh, McLaren had a solid but unspectacular race uh, in Imola, scored some points, keeping them very much in that uh, third place battle. It's only one point separating third to fifth in the Constructors' Championship. But you know, overtaking was part of their problem here. They didn't qualify that great and then felt they couldn't make any progress in the race. But also didn't really try anything, considering they had two cars in the mix here. 
didn't really try anything novel. Sainz stayed out a little bit longer than all the midfielders, but only four laps and didn't gain anything from it at the first stop. Initially, they left Lando Norris out behind the safety car, but I believe he asked to, to come in and they stopped him a couple of laps later, didn't lose any places, and yeah. then had Sainz and Norris on the same strategy. Essentially, at the end, couldn't gain any places again. Yeah. Is it that this fight is very close? There's a, a, a lack of willingness to try something in the event you might lose the the four points that Norris scored, for example, should they? would you expect them to be a little bit ambitious here just to see what could be gained in a race that really wasn't offering much on-track action, let's say? Maybe, but I think they were um, predilected by two things that made them risk-averse. Firstly was that they wanted and were absolutely determined to score points with both cars mm-hmm. in Imola, which they hadn't done um, in some previous races uh, certainly Russia and Nürburgring, they hadn't scored points with both cars um, because that's going to help them. That's the only thing that's going to get them or keep them close to P3 and the constructors is if, unlike Racing Point and Renault, who seem every race to have yeah. only one car scoring points, whichever one that is, uh, even though I think in Portimao, Ocon and Ricardo did both score points. Um, but today only Ricardo, or in Imola, only Ricardo did. So first of all, they wanted to make sure they both scored points. Secondly, they were predilected to to making the one stop work. And I think with Lando Norris were bounced into the early stop by that midfield early rash of of stoppers that we talked about earlier, earlier than they would have wanted to. And, And, you know, I think they wanted to get to lap 25, 26 on that soft tire, which they were showing, you know, like decent pace that they were because they were driving to protect that red soft tyre early on in the first stint, and they stopped earlier than they wanted to. And by that time, everything was a little bit compromised. It made sense for them to stop uh, afterwards under the safety car, but by then, you know, it was a used soft tyre, and, and they couldn't really close on, on Perez, even though it was pretty close. I think what they're concerned about now is that Alpha Tauri is now a faster car with Kvyat, mm. And while I don't think they think AlphaTauri will be challenging them for a constructor's place because AlphaTauri are pretty far down in terms of points, they don't want AlphaTauri getting in their fight with Renault and Racing Point. And if they can just be solid and score, you know, 10, 12 points, whatever, 15 points across the two cars, that's going to give McLaren the best chance of trying to get third but at least securing fourth. If they drop to fifth, which would be one place below where they are at the moment, McLaren and the constructors, that would be really, really disappointing. They really don't want to do that. If, you know, minimum, they want to stay fourth and constructors, maximum move up to third. And I think that probably um, pushes some of their, some of their um, decisions. Well, the Constructors' Championship was decided this weekend, but that battle for third is going to go right down to the last race, and it certainly is an interesting one. I can't wait to see how it's going to balance out, but to look back on Imola, classic track, everyone was very excited about it. Yeah, well, it was a classic track, except for George Russell, of course, who we should should extend our condolences to. Mm. And, um, you know, I was reflecting myself today, you know, who amongst us can honestly say we've never made a massive mistake that we've been really, really annoyed with ourselves about. George Russell did. He was set for a point. Uh, he would have got the point, I think, that Giovinazzi ended up with um, mm. because he was staying out under the safety car on the hard tyre, and uh, and and he would have got a point, maybe maybe even one more, maybe maybe even two points for ninth. 
But uh, yeah, that mistake. Uh, he'll never. He'll things never to do. Uh, we've learned from Imola is is you know risk the car of doing something as silly as and insignificant and probably ultimately pointless as trying to you know warm your 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 hard tires up under the safety car and uh, other things not to do is decide that like Haas you're not going to change your gearbox after qualifying because uh, it would drop mm. you some places um, on the on the opening lap. Uh, even if it is giving your driver, Kevin Magnussen, a kick in the back of the head uh, because of some harsh upshifts, then have an incident early in the race, drop to last where you would have been anyway had you changed the gearbox, and then having to retire because the driver is effectively getting a migraine because of this upshift, giving the driver a kick in the back of the head. So, yeah, two two more things not to do in Imola if and when we hopefully go there sometime in the future. An educational weekend for everyone, in other words. We all learned something. Yes. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Ted. Thanks. Cheers. That was Ted Kravitz from Sky Sports F1. The Strategy Report is powered by Apex Race Manager, the mobile race management simulator. Play it for free on iOS and Android devices. If you want more Strategy Report, you can get every episode by subscribing on Google and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on your favorite podcast app, plus all of your social media channels. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love it if you could give us a rating and a review to help other F1 fans find the show. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. My name's Michael Aminato, and I'll catch you next week for a preview of the Turkish Grand Prix.